Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen how the Human Microbiome Project works, which we released back in May of 2014. And even after all these years, six years on, this information is still just totally mind-blowing to me, and I love it. It's one of my favorite episodes of all time. I'd kind of forgotten about it and discovered it again, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. I almost just forgot what I was going to say. Your name? Yeah. Wow. Uh, There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant piping in. Yep. And uh, there's Jerry. The trio. Yeah. The trifecta. And this terrible Ikea lamp. Uh, you think? Well, we are getting a little heat off of it right now, which is nice. Did you ever see that Ikea commercial about the lamp that was thrown out on the street? No. It was really good. Well, what happened to it? Was it like the monkey at the Ikea? No, it was uh, like a lamp gets thrown out with like someone's just redoing parts of their apartment and the lamp is... uh, uh, Kicked to the curb, as it were? Computer animated, so it's it's human formed. Okay. Uh, Not human formed, what am I saying? Anthropogenic? (laughs) Yeah. Anthropomorphized. And like looks up at the apartment that he was just thrown out of and stuff like that. Does he go back to Sweden? Uh, I I don't remember how it ends. You just remember the lamp like turns all human? It was sad. It was like sad. Okay. I got teared up. Did you go buy one of those lamps? No, of course not. That didn't work? No. Um, So I guess you're feeling pretty good since you're talking about lamps and everything. You know me and lamps. I do. That means it's a good day. It's a clear signal. (laughs) Chuck's in a good mood, everybody. Uh, You know one of the reasons why you're in a good mood? Mm. Because your guts are functioning properly. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> you know me. It's day to day Yeah, with my stomach. Well, that's exactly right. Things change very quickly Yeah, because of your stomach, and your stomach can affect your mood. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of the serotonin, which is a mood-stabilizing neurotransmitter, yeah. is produced in your gut. Yeah. And the way that things like serotonin and other stuff uh, is produced is thanks to our microbiome, dude. Yeah. Our microbiome. This is the most fascinating thing going on in medicine science right now. Yeah, I, I get the impression reading various articles when scientists talk about it, they all seem really pumped up. It's like the breakthrough of the 21st century. And this thing like just started. It's 2014. Yeah. And like this could remain the breakthrough of the century. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about the timeline, up until the 20th century, you were like a plant or an animal. Right, And then it was literally like the 1950s and 60s that they started saying maybe we should break things down a little further. And they came up with the five kingdoms. Right. I think there now even is a sixth kingdom. Well, there's three domains now. Yeah. Eight kingdoms. Oh, there's eight? There's eight. And three... Two of the domains are account for two of the kingdoms as well, bacteria and archaea. Yeah. And archaea used to be thought that they were the same as bacteria. Yes. Then they started looking into them a little more, and they're like, oh, these guys are made up of different amino acids, and they have different characteristics. And archaea, for example, are the kind of um, microbial life that you'll only find around undersea hot water sulfur vents yeah, like volcanoes. Crazy places. Not not in your vagina or in your uh, mouth. 
Well, no, because they're extremophiles, and a vagina or a mouth isn't that extreme. Well, it is, because archaea lives there. That's right. So the, the fact that we figured out that archaea are different than bacteria, and not only that they don't just live in extreme environments, but also on the human body, yeah. that was something we can thank the Human Microbiome Project for. Yeah, and that wasn't... I think they didn't even discover archaea till the 1970s, so this... All this stuff is brand new. Right. And exciting. And by the way, the three domains are bacteria, archaea, and eukaryotes, which yeah. are us. Yes. We're eukaryotes because we have nucleus, says nuclei. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about this, man. We, we have before, I'm sure you remember, in the uh, fecal transplant episode. Yes. Because it definitely factors into it. You can... Um, Poop shakes. Yeah. You can cure... Uh, Clostridium difficile, which is something where that it's a gut microbe that's very harmful to humans that uh, can colonize your guts after you take antibiotics, yeah. which is basically just like a slash and burn approach, uh, which again, thanks to the Human Microbiome Project, um, we're starting to understand, yeah, we might want to use antibiotics because yeah. what we used to just think of as almost entirely bad are actually mostly beneficial. Sure. And even some of the bad bacteria, a.k.a. germs, um, are actually present in our microbiome and normally live in harmony. Yeah. It just appears that when the microbiome gets out of whack, that's when disease happens. Yeah, like you may have E. coli in your body right now. Yeah, I probably do. But it's not a big deal if you're, well, we just talk about stasis. Homeostasis. Yeah, keeping yeah. things balanced in life is the key. Yes. And uh, it's definitely the key with your own personal microbiome, which we have learned is very individualized, which we'll get to with the project. Right. So if you take a human body and you scanned the, all the genes in it, what you would find is there are about 100 times more microbial genes than human genes in a genetic scan of a human body. Yeah. Our... our Human cells only make up about 10% of the cells in the body. And here's another great stat. We actually, the, the healthiest person on the planet has between two and five pounds of bacteria. Pounds. Yeah, of your body weight, about <laughs> up to five pounds is accounted for. Yes. What's crazy is, is that that's even considering that microbial cells are anywhere from a tenth to a hundredth the size of an average human cell. Yeah, so do you know how many, how much five pounds would have to... That adds up to quite a few. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's um, an estimated 100 trillion microbes on a, an average human person. Just in, yeah. on, and uh, a part of. Such a, such a part of us and our, our normal functioning that we're finding very quickly that they're, they're pretty much interchangeable. They're, they are one with us, and um, as their host, we are kind of one with them. Yeah, like you have fungus on your skin. Yeah. No big deal, right? Well, that's another thing, too, we should talk about. When people say microbe, um, it's kind of a catch-all word for... Tiny. Yeah, any tiny, yeah. typically unicellular life, and that's the case here, too. But it doesn't just mean bacteria. The human microbiome is made up of Lots of bacteria and lots and lots of different types of bacteria. Um, for example, the mouth may have up to 5,000 different species of bacteria. Yeah, and the, 
they're not just lazing around in your body. Like they are responsible for keeping your body in check or, you know, sometimes responsible for it being out of whack. Right. But they're all, they're all doing something or laying there waiting to do something. You also have a, um, what's called a virome. You have viruses in your microbiome and they appear to be present to keep the bacteria populations uh, from getting out of control. Like yeah. they're there to infect bacteria, to kill them off. And they it's kind of like um, they're the lions to the gazelles of the microbiome. Okay. You take away the lions, you got too many gazelles. Yeah. They all start to starve. They don't function correctly. They may even eat each other. You don't want to see a gazelle eat a, another gazelle. So you have lions there, and the lions, <laughs> these apex predators, yeah. keep the gazelle population in check and ultimately healthy, paradoxically. Yeah, true. It's the same thing with the virome in your microbiome. Yeah, I mean, they, we know they aid like gut bacteria, aids digestion, and we'll get to gut bacteria more. I mean, they're discovering just all kinds of things it affects. Right. Uh, synthesized vitamins. Um, when you poop in the toilet mm-hmm. and you look at your poop, which you should do, by the way, like, you know, on a regular basis. Um, how much is it? Is it half? half I've of seen that anywhere is from a even, third to half. So a third to half of that is microbial biomass. It's not food. No, it's like dead and living bacteria yeah. that you're pooping out. Yeah, about half. Half. I saw something that was kind of mind-blowing, too. Um, it's, it's really neat and accurate, especially on a microbial level, All right. to imagine your alimentary system, your digestive system. Yeah as the inside of that is technically outside of your body. You have a hole, uh-huh. a trail running through the middle of your body. Yeah, that attaches to the outside world. That's <laughs> technically the outside. Uh, yeah, I guess I see what you mean. It, it, just chew on it for a minute. Yeah. Like the, the inside of your digestive system is technically the outside of your body. Like, ain't here? That's outside <laughs> of your body. Yeah. It's confusing. It is, but once once your head wraps around it, it's like one hand clapping kind of thing. Right. And you're just like, whoa, <laughs> that is neat. Uh, all right, so that's, I guess, the briefest of overviews of microbes and bacteria, which we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. Yeah. In our Great Digestion podcast, that was one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. And then we've already talked about the poop shakes. Uh, so the National Institutes of Health came up with a plan got some money together and said, let's try and do what the Human Genome Project did. Let's try and map out the micro, the human microbiome, which is a very tough task because everyone is different. Yeah, well, yeah. Everyone's microbiome is different. And I just saw today it was released from University of Michigan. They've kind of already determined there is no such thing as a baseline healthy microbiome. Yeah, and that was one of the goals of this project that was started in 2007 was that um, to fi- to establish a baseline microbiome. Yeah. Like they 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 didn't know what one looked like. Like they knew that people had tons of bacteria and protozoa and viruses all over us and in us, but what is that supposed to look like? And when you figure out what it's supposed to look like, then you can figure out what. It, what an unhealthy one looks like, yeah, and then possibly how to correct that by adjusting this this microbial ecosystem back to a baseline. But uh, I'm not surprised that they found that there isn't a baseline that is yeah. just too different. And that doesn't mean that they can't like learn a lot and help us out a lot. What they're yeah. basically saying is, 
you take a dozen completely healthy people and their microbiomes are going to be completely different still. Yeah. And there was um, there was one huge revolution in um, in the study of bacterial or microbial life yeah. that, that made this project possible. Same with the, the human genome, but um, much more for this. It's called metagenomics. And prior to the advent of metagenomics, if you wanted to study bacteria, you had to find a bacteria that could be replicated, cloned. Cultured. In, yeah, in yeah. a laboratory setting. And um, this accounted for just a very, very small fraction of the number of microbes out there. What's more, so not only did you not have a representative sample, yeah. but you also didn't have um, any kind of anything less than an artificial setting. So even if you did get these microbes, if you could replicate Grow them, them yeah. in the lab, um, they weren't going to behave the way they would in their natural setting, like yeah. on your body. So what metagenomics did um, was you can now take like a representative sample, say like a clump of soil yeah. or a swab of somebody's earful, uh-huh. and get all of the microbe, microbes in there and then basically just do this rough scan of them, separate all the DNA out, add these enzymes that go and clip coherent fragments of this DNA out and then you take it and you put it into what's called a model organism and that model organism starts to replicate as cells and then each cell displays a certain characteristic associated with a different microbe. So all of a sudden you can start studying the different cells and say, oh, well this has to do with this microbe and this means that this protozoa is present and so on and so forth and now you can get a truly representative sample of what's in a microbiome. And without metagenomics, like this, none of this would be possible. Yeah. But now we're starting to find all sorts of new, uh, not just information, but even new species of bacteria and protozoa and fungi from the study of this stuff. Which is a great thing. It is a great thing. And we'll explain why it's a great thing right after this break. Stuff you should know. Okay, so we're back. We are back. And uh, we were talking about the microbiome project, uh, which is being rolled out in phases, uh, the first of which, obviously, is to get as many of those samples via this new technology and basically just get a big reference set, like right. throw them out all, all on the table like a, like a crawfish boil. To, uh, in the hopes of establishing <laughs> that baseline. Well, not just a baseline, just basically cat- cataloging everything. Right with the ultimate goal of seeing what this means to our body and how these different things interact. So they they put the word out on the street. The NIH said, hey, we need some volunteers. Do you think you're a very healthy person? If so, come volunteer. And 600 people who consider themselves very healthy showed up and said, I'm a healthy person. Yeah, and they were dismayed to learn they half of them weren't healthy. <laughs> yeah, apparently, um, like, yeah, over half were rejected outright. Yeah, and that doesn't mean they're, like, super unhealthy. It just means for the purposes of this. They needed the healthiest yeah. of the healthy people. And I read that even, even still, of the ones that were accepted, the 242 that made the cut, um, 
85% of those people still had to have periodontal disease and cavities treated first. Yeah. Be- and then basically they had to be treated for that stuff and then they were deemed fully healthy. But yeah. like that's that's how the level of health they needed for this study or that they wanted for it. Yeah, and it surprised me they only got um, subjects from two cities. Uh, I thought it would have been like spread out, but um, Houston, Texas and St. Louis, Missouri are where the uh, – final subjects came from yeah, and they haven't been and they were all white too oh really they were white men and women aged 18 to uh, 40 i believe and um they were in the they were the picture of perfect health after the dentists got finished with them why all white people i wonder i i don't know but um it's not that this has been uh that the human microbiome project has been criticized for it it's yeah. more just been like you so you guys got a swab of just these, just a small fragment of humanity. Yeah, maybe There's that's so just much, the starting point. Right. It, well, yes. Because they can't <laughs> include, like, every ethnic group and race yes. when you're just starting out. Right. Okay. But, I mean, it is surprising that they weird. just went with Caucasian only. Uh, so they finally get these healthy people. A um, couple of hundred scientists, 80 different institutions. It's a big group thing. Uh, it's not just, like, one university that's running the show. Uh budget of about 170 million bucks to start out with mm-hmm. and a bunch of uh cotton swabs yeah lots o- of them over 11,000 cotton swabs generic cotton swabs yeah right <laughs> they um they they swabbed each man uh, in 15 locations yeah women in 18 locations three of the locations were in the vagina men don't have vaginas they don't but men have ears and armpits and uh, elbow folds yeah mouths yeah uh, so there's up your nose stool stool samples. Yeah, they're they're getting as you know they're swabbing all the moist places. Right, <laughs> uh, the, and yeah, they, that's exactly right. And Not just they, moist places, but I think that's where you're going to find the gold. Sure, you know. Yeah, well, no, it's true. Like your forearm actually uh, is typically pretty dry. Yeah. Um, but it has one of the most diverse array of bacterial species in your whole microbiome. Yeah. Uh, you have about an average of 43. Yeah, and people, when you hear this, don't think... <laughs> that didn't get the reaction I was expecting. Well, that seemed low to me. Yeah, I guess Because so. I'm used to hearing like thousands. Thousands of bacteria, not necessarily species. Yeah, that's true. Um, Although I think the mouth is going to top that. From what I read, remember I said like that has yeah. like five, up to five thousand species. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, um, but I think one of our goals here, and the goal of scientists, is to stop people from like changing the tide of how we even think about this stuff. So when you hear that, all the bacteria in your mouth and under your armpit, don't think gross. Think awesome. W- well, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, you know. So um, the the project, I guess, is still very much in its nascent stages, Chuck. Basically, they, they the project did, itself. Yeah, they yeah. did the initial legwork, and then they did the second phase, which is sequencing these things. Which, again, like I I just painted the broadest picture of metagenomic sequencing. Yeah, it is one of the most involved, insane, complex processes I've ever like tried to understand. It's more complex than the breathalyzer. 
<laughs> Remember oh, that? <laughs> it used like uh, kryptonite somehow. Yeah, that was very surprising. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our breathalyzers episode. It was really, those are complicated machines. Yeah, I thought there were fairies inside the little box that just Pretty said, much. smells like beer. Yeah, Met- metagenomics <laughs> is, is it's better to just kind of understand it like little fairies performing yeah. magic than to really dive into it. But um, the the point is, this project uh, they have all this data now. Now they have to sort through it. They have what the problem of big data, where it's just an overwhelming amount of data. Like trillions of bytes of data. 3.5 trillion bytes of data, which is about a thousand times more than the Human Genome Project. And at first you're like, Whoa, wait, that doesn't make sense. We're talking about bacteria. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. We have about 100 to 200 times the genes in our microbiome than we do in just the human genome. So, yeah. That's a lot of data, and now they're starting to figure out how to how to sort through it. All right, so I guess after this break, we can talk about some of the things we have learned thus far. Stuff you know. Okay, we're back. All right, so now I guess we can talk about some of these great findings, some of the newest findings in the last, what, is, what year is it? Well, they started in 2007. Seven, yeah, seven years old. And it seems like the first crop of, like, amazing stuff started in about 2012. Yeah, so after they had categorized things and got, like, thrown all the crawfish out on the table. Right, and the corn. Yeah. The little corn's good. Have you ever done that? Uh, I've had boil. that before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Like go to a big party. There's a place in um, uh, on Buford Highway called um, the Crawfish Shack. I've heard of that, but I haven't been. Dude. Did they do it like that? Did they just dump it on the table and? It's eat, all eat picnic it? tables. No, it's in like bowls and stuff oh, like okay. that. But um, but it's all it, picnic tables inside. Yeah. And um, just huge rolls of paper towels, and it's dude, that place is so good. Yeah, I guess you can't do that as a restaurant, but if you go to a true crawfish boil at someone's mm-hmm. home. You have the picnic table covered with the plastic yeah. thing, and you just dump it on the table, and everyone just stands around like a bunch of animals, right? Getting drunk and eating, like sucking the heads of crawfish. My my family used to do something similar to that when I was little in Toledo. We would eat. Um, my dad called it garbage pail stew. Uh, yeah. Are you familiar? Is it, is it like all the leftovers? No, it's no. like you use a trash can to make it. Oh, right? never heard of it. Over like a flame. Okay. And obviously you use a new trash can, sure. like a brand new one. So I guess when dad got a new trash can, we would have garbage pail stew. Like anyway. A metal trash can? It was, yes. Okay. It was more like a, um, no, the plastic just added this No, I, new. I'm just trying to, like a, a one yeah, of like the big the large ones? Right, yeah. One of the old timey ones. What kind of flame you got in your house? That's not I don't remember what he cooked it on. Interesting. I don't, like in my, in my mind's eye, I can't look down. I can just see right. I can just see the kind of the top of it. But anyway, it was like a Yankee northern midwestern version of it. So there was like lots of cabbage in it and, oh, sure. and, and like kielbasa and stuff like that. But it was essentially the same thing. Yeah. And you would eat it on like like newspaper. I can't wait to get emails from people who are like, "We did that same thing." I've looked around, I've never seen it since. I'm sure that yeah, that sounds like a thing that Or Although your dad is a very unique person. Insane <laughs> is the way to put it. All right, so back to the project and the findings. Um, one of the things they've learned is that uh, periodontists, this is gum disease, uh, some bacteria are elevated 
if you have periodontists. So that's going to give you a little insight to maybe how you can better take care of your mouth, what kind of bacteria you need in there, what kind you don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like, for example, uh, Streptococcus mutans is responsible for cavities. Um, so you want to take care of your Streptococcus mutans. mutans. The thing is, Chuck, that reading this made me wonder, like, are we going to go the other direction now where it's like we understand that you can't just use antibiotics to get rid of everything. Yeah. But if we identify uh, bacteria that's like, oh, well, that one gives you cavities. Let's get rid of all of that and find yeah. some sort of medicine that just gets rid of that. Right. It it could make things even worse in a whole other direction. Yeah. Like one thing that I, fi- I figured out from this is that it the the microbiome appears to exist in balance. Yeah. Like stuff that should make us sick, E. coli, right. um, uh, kinds of strep, staph, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it exists on a healthy person's microbiome. And it's just hanging out there. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that they're inherently disease-causing t- for us or that they're, right. they're inevitably disease-causing. Um, apparently, if they exist in, in harmony with their neighbors, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And we can't just root out just ones that make us sick and get rid of those because I think it'll have repercussions. But they might, we might have a future where instead of an antibiotic, you, take, you actually take a bacteria that will attack the other bacteria. The, the bad stuff. Right, or you can, right, exactly. Like, that, that, as long as we're not intervening and going after a specific bacteria, yeah, if we can you. aid the bacteria, like you say, yeah. that will fight it naturally, like by eating some sort of sugary paste, <laughs> you know? Or probiotics. I mean, that's what that is, right? Yeah. And, and that, they're all the rage. That, I mean, that's, that's an issue that's being um, examined in, in more detail thanks to the microbiome. Like, do probiotics work? Yeah. Uh, and apparently the jury's still out. Yeah. Like, well, in theory, sure. they should work. Yeah. But it depends on, you know, whether these things are actually colonizing your guts. And also, it, I have the impression that it's like you don't really know what you're doing when you're adding, like, all these new people to the neighborhood. Yeah, and because everyone's microbiome is so different, some one probiotic for one person might be great, and mm-hmm. for another person it might not do anything or may make things worse. I don't know. Yeah, which is another goal of the Human Microbiome Project, that if we start to understand, you know, what a colony, maybe there's not an, a normal colony for yeah. everybody, but what an individual's normal colony looks like, right? then you can take blood or samples yeah. and make adjustments based specifically on what you need right there. Yeah, it could be the end of cool. pharmaceutical drugs, yeah. conceivably. Uh, I know they're doing a lot of research into um, how your gut bacteria affects obesity and your weight. Um, they have found obese mice and transferred uh, micro uh, microbes from their gut into skinny mice, and the skinny mice gained weight. And um, there's just type in um, gut bacteria and obesity and there are a lot of studies going on now thinking that maybe correcting your gut bacteria could actually help you uh, help your metabolism, you know, straighten out. Right. Like they think the, the bacteria itself directly informs how the body uses or stores energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that blew me away was uh, there's a type of um, bacteria that helps uh, that helps break down milk in humans. Oh, yeah. And typically it's in the gut. But um, as a woman advances in pregnancy, uh, some of it moves down to the vagina. Yeah. 
And they, at first, the researchers who found this were like, well, what's the deal with that? And then they figured it out, they think. Yeah. When a baby is born um, and it passes through the vagina, it basically is becomes covered in this bacteria, yeah. ingests some of it, and that bacteria goes down and colonizes the baby's guts and prepares it almost immediately to start breaking down breast milk. Yeah, evidently, uh, brand new babies are just sponges and like... They're experimenting with cesarean sections to just swab, like after you have the cesarean section, you bring the baby out, mm-hmm. swab it with uh, with vaginal mucus, yeah. and basically it just soaks right into the skin and maybe have the same result. Right, or swab their mouth or something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, another way, and I guess that's kind of related too, is um, with the immune system. Apparently, the microbiome acts as kind of like a, a teacher to the early immune system yeah, and says like, hey, these are the good ones. These are the bad ones. Um, why don't you go ahead and produce some T killer cells or killer T cells, yeah, but not too many. Um, and uh, we'll just go ahead and keep the homeostasis going. And they basically like teach a young immune system how to operate at an optimal level. And they found that by engineering mice that are like totally germ-free, yeah. their immune systems have a tendency to go crazy. Like they'll become inflamed in the presence of what are, say, um, non-harmful fungi. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll become so inflamed that they'll damage the surrounding tissue. Or they'll have like irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. Or Crohn's disease, they think, also is a, a, um, a flux state of the microbiome in the gut. So apparently it directly impacts the the immune system as well, which, my friend, lends a lot of weight to the hygiene hypothesis. Yeah, that's that's basically the notion that uh, here in the West and even in developing countries now, children are uh, seeing such a decrease in infection when they're they're kids Mm -hmm. that when they grow up, they have an increased uh, number of uh, allergies and maybe autoimmune issues. Yes. And um, you kind of see it playing out, you know? <laughs> right. Like, it, it's a real thing. Like, if you're slathering your child with Purell, you're not doing them any favors. Right. So... They may have asthma later on because of that. Exactly. And it, they, they are becoming... They're coming to think that it's because of the... the uh, just a stunted growth of the microbiome. Yeah. And I think they found now even... They think they have a direct link <laughs> between your gut bacteria and allergies. So, if you're... If you get hay fever, mm-hmm. it may be because of your gut bacteria. Right. And it makes a, just utter and complete sense, too. Yeah. Like your body has been exposed to these things early on, learned that they're not harmful, and no longer produces antibodies as a result of their presence. Yeah. Because that's all an allergy is. It's a, a, um, it's a case of mistaken identity. Your yeah. immune system thinks that pollen or something is a, a harmful foreign invader and, and launches your, your immune response. Pretty cool. Uh, some of the other interesting things they found so far is that uh, there wasn't a single microbe that everyone had in the study. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Um, and that microbes are most similar on the same site of different people. So like you and I have more similar microbes in our armpit, mm-hmm. then even though we're different people. Right. Then you, your microbes in your armpit has to do with your belly button. Yeah. Ours are more similar than the ones in different places on your body. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And different microbes can do completely different things. Like 
the way you digest food might use one microbe and I might use another, or that same microbe might have a completely different function in you than it does in me. Right. So it's so personalized. It's like, it feels like the beginning of like hyper-personalized medicine. Uh, I think it is. In the future. I definitely think it is. I think it's also the beginning of a kinder, kinder, gentler approach to treating disease. Yeah. All disease. Like it's entirely possible, especially if you take a brain-based view of mental illness, it's possible that every bit of disease can be cured yeah. by, by understanding the microbiome. Even cancer, apparently, they found from this that some types of cancer manage to cloak themselves by taking like um, uh, resin or residue uh-huh. from certain types of bacteria and basically sneaking past your, uh, your immune system. And going and, and lodging itself into cells and hijacking them and creating tumors, but it cloaks itself by getting buddy buddy with certain kinds of bacteria. Cancer is a jerk. Yes, cancer is a big time jerk. You know, we've yeah. kind of covered it here and there, but uh, I could see more specific cancer podcasts in our future. Sure. You know what? Yeah. So, like, so far we've done two that specifically got into the microbiome, but we've never done, like, a microbiome one. Yeah. So I think we should come back, like, a year from now and even more stuff is out and do, like, the microbiome. Yeah, it seems like they're they're making breakthroughs at a pretty rapid pace. Yes. So in a year, they might, everyone might be skinny. Yeah. Because of the microbiome pill. Did, have you seen <laughs> a picture of, like, a, an obese mouse next to, like, a skinny or normal-sized mouse? Yeah. It's pretty depressing. It is. Um, Sad mouse. Okay, so I will see you here at the end of next April. Uh, God willing. For the microbiome one. Yeah, deal. All right. If you want to learn more about the human microbiome, you can type that, well, those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said HowStuffWorks.com, so it's time for the listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this a response from a creationist. Oh, okay. We got a few of these. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, listen to your podcast on natural selection and really enjoyed it. I'm a biologist who is a Christian and creationist. Uh, natural selection is not what we disagree on. And when I say we, I mean most creationists. But of course, with every group, there are outliers. Uh, we agree with microevolution, uh, changes that occur within the species, not macroevolution, species developed into a completely different species, which is what most people tend to associate with evolution. Uh, the only major differences between creationists and evolutionists is that we believe the Earth is between six and 10,000 years old, um, and again, excluding the outliers, and that all organisms were created in their basic form by our God. Uh, for example, we believe that everyone came from Adam and Eve, who through methods of natural selection evolved into the many nationalities we have today. Same thing with animals. We believe that a small number of species were created by our God, and all the forms we have today evolve through natural selection. So the only main difference that we have with evolutionists is the ultimate origin of species. Uh, the areas of evolution that we can see clearly occurring in front of our eyes, we agree with. It's the areas that evolutionists theorize about that we don't agree with. So while there are differences between creationism and evolution, there are actually more similarities. Hmm. And that is Eric from South Bend, Indiana. Thanks a lot, Eric. Very salient points. Yeah biologist yeah i love it when like experts come out of the out of the woodwork especially when they're experts with a twist yes and we (laughs) we love being refuted and refuting and reading refutations and uh we'll always read these things refutation life (laughs) that's right 
Uh, if you want to refute something we've said or agree with us or whatever, if you just want to get in touch about anything, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash WShouldKnow. We're on Pinterest. We're on Instagram. And if you want to send an email to Chuck, Jerry, and me, you can address it to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.